feel like I could take on the world. I may also clean my room. Like, I feel so alive. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 100% of my brain was like, we're going to record and then I'm going to bed. And I don't think there's any possibility of that happening right now. I'm probably going to be up so late. I'm so glad I don't have to work tomorrow. Oh my god. Um... So welcome to episode one of Gridwalk's season review. Season wrap up, season review. Um, So we're dividing this into three different episodes so we can dig deep into like three different areas we care a lot about instead of cramming it all into 20 minute segments and, you know, or creating an extra long show because we can't help ourselves. Which is more likely to, let's be honest, it would end up being like a three hour show instead of you know three separate episodes so we're doing this the smart way right so we basically preemptively decided oh well let's just record three hours and split it into three episodes instead of recording three hours and then deciding it to split it up into three episodes uh, so episode one today we're talking everything drivers so we're going to dig into really interesting teammate battles that aren't things that are obvious so yes max verstappen destroyed Sergio Perez this year. You all know that, we know that. We're not gonna dwell on that. Instead, we're gonna talk about the details of the Mercedes drivers, the Ferrari drivers, the Alpine drivers. We're also gonna take a look at driver popularity this year. We're gonna look at five very popular drivers. I pulled Lewis, Max, Charles, Fernando, and Lando to see how much people are searching for them this, over the course of the last, I think I pulled eight years of data. I should know that before I started recording, but I didn't. I'll know that when we record that segment. Nicole dug into the history of a rookie to try to put some context to Oscar Piastri's very impressive rookie season. Because you know, of course in F1, some drivers get to start out in a midfield team like Oscar, and some drivers have to start out in a, in a Williams, like Logan Sargent did this year. So she's going to take a look and put some into context where Oscar places in the history of rookie entries over the years. That wraps up the formation lap for episode 47 of Gridwalk, a weekly Formula One podcast that believes there are fascinating stories to discuss across the entire F1 grid. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and leave us a comment down below with what driver impressed you the most this season, what driver are you the most most disappointed in this season. We'd love to hear your takes. Also, if you're listening on an audio platform, please hit the follow button, turn on auto downloads, and leave us a review. If you're not following us over on all our social media channels, we're currently in the middle of doing 23 podiums for the 2023 season. We're we're posting a video every day on Instagram and YouTube shorts with a podium of things that happened over the course of the year. Also, while you're there, you could check out the Almave review video that I did that Lewis Hamilton liked, because that's all my brain is screaming right now when we're recording this. Um, But if you interact with us in any way thank you so much it really helps support the show cool down our wind up on the grid it's lights out and away we go on this week's grid walk we have to say lewis as many times as possible at the as soon as we can so we can start with mercedes which is where lewis drives so we keep saying lewis because lewis liked our instagram um (laughs) So I think at the start of the four different segments we're doing to talk about four different teams, we should come in with our bias, which is very clearly we are both Lewis Hamilton fans. Like, that is the bias that is implied in everything we say right now. Yes, our bias. Clearly, Lewis leaning. That's not new. That's not uh, kind of, I think, a surprise at this point in the podcast, given recent events. And of 
you know, compared to the Ferrari drivers and the Alpine drivers that we will talk about today, I think it's important to come in with the fact that Lewis and George are in very different stages of their career. Lewis's only goal right now is to win races and win championships. So I don't think he approaches the season in the same way George is approaching the season. I think George has made it very evident that his goal all season is to just beat Lewis whenever he can. And he's still trying to prove to Mercedes that he can beat Lewis. So when the car is good, they don't just team order George Russell. They don't Valtteri Bottas George Russell. That's George Russell's goal right now, which I think is very different than Lewis, which is very much like, I want to maximize my points on a Sunday, not my quality on a Saturday. I want to do as much weird setup stuff as possible to try to help the team. Like, I think, and I'm not trying to, I know you can, People can hear that and think I'm disparaging George Russell for that. I don't. I think they're just in different stages of their life and career. And that's okay. I think you hit the nail on the head of prove. Like the word prove and saying that George feels and does have a lot to prove. I mean, yeah, he is much younger in his career than, I mean, and he's also not Lewis Hamilton. And Lewis has proven himself time and time again, a thousand times. So yeah, he, it's a completely different stage, and when we're saying prove, it's nothing against George as a driver who he is, but that's exactly, he's in the place now where he needs to show that you he doesn't want them to call team orders, even though they will, because it's Lewis, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, prove, yep. having things to prove feels like a lot of drivers on the grid right now, so... Um, yeah. I Not that, you know, George is in a league of his own there, but yeah, definitely a big part of the vibe. And I think all of this context is important to preface the data I'm about to go through because uh, I, hi, I work a full-time job that is not grid walk. So I couldn't sit here and pull intricate race pace numbers for Lewis and George for all 22 races that happened this season. I can say anecdotally that when I pulled it for 15 of the races throughout the year, Lewis tended to be the faster driver. It seems like George is still not quite there in his tire management as the greatest of all time. Again, not a disparaging statement against George, <laughs> but I can pull quality data easier. So I think you're gonna hear at least me say a lot in all the data I'm gonna say right now is, but it's just quality. Because the difference in where Lewis and George ended on the stands, like on the standings based on ev all the work they did on Sunday is not because Lewis got lucky and George got unlucky. It's because Lewis had a really great on-track year with what he did on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about how George had better Saturdays. And I'm going to consistently say that Lewis was the better driver this year, despite the numbers we're going to talk through. <laughs> I mean, I, speaking just of my personal preference, I would rather be the one performing well on Sundays than Saturdays anyway, but that's just my take. But that doesn't mean there's not interesting data we can gleam from the quality data. Oh, yeah. George Russell beat Lewis Hamilton, qualies and sprint shootouts combined, 15 to 13. Which means he slightly edged out Lewis this year. Okay. 
you know, like that's, yeah, that's just kind of how I that was not a drastic enough number that I was like, oh, okay, fine. The median of the difference between them for this data set, like I took Lewis's fastest time and George's fastest time. And to be clear, I took the fastest time, not necessarily the fastest time in Q3, just like whatever their Whoa. fastest time was, that's what I pulled. Uh, the median is five hundredths of a second. So over the course of the season, they were pretty evenly matched. Yeah, like there was a couple of weeks where one of them really outqualified the other one, but it was, they by far are really the closest teammate battle in all of this. But that's probably not something anyone listening didn't know. And I do have some more interesting data points after I give you space to react to that number first. Yeah, uh, seems as expected, kind of to your point, you know, they George and Lewis seem to be the closest competing teammates you know just by watching this season that was that so the data shows that and that's exactly what it seemed like none of that is too much a surprise for me but it's it's good to see it see the numbers of showing how close it actually is so i split this data i was like okay well we knew that are there different angles and ways we can look at this data and one of a positive that a sprint weekend provides is that qualifying is really early. So we can, if we split and just look at sprint weeks, we can technically make a small conclusion using the sample size of which driver got up to speed faster in the car when they were given almost no practice time and no setup time. So interestingly, actually all four of the driver pairings I pulled in the Saturday sprint shootout alone, it was 3-3. It was split perfectly down the middle where three drivers were faster in one and three drivers were faster in another. But the Lewis-George data gets interesting when I look at the Friday qualifying data where Lewis actually outqualified George on a Friday qualifying 5-1 to one over the season. But... And again, just in terms of experience, that's like, yeah, because there's the needing less time to prep. Nothing against George. It's just like, yeah, Lewis just needs less prep time. You can see the expertise there. I think sometimes we see that George over the course of a weekend seems more inclined to set up his car to do very well in qualifying. And if you give him the normal weekend, like he'll get up to speed and he'll probably outqualify Lewis based on how they were deciding to set up their cars this year. But with given no time at all and just go, Lewis is still the faster driver. Small sample size. Uh, because the reverse of this to all you George Russell fans that are raging because you know that I understand. Um, on non-sprint shootout qualies, Lewis was faster five weekends and George was faster 11. Mm-hmm. So George vastly outqualified Lewis on normal race weekends. Yeah. I mean, but then to speaking to George's scale, yeah, with the proper like prep time and getting, you know, used to the car set up that weekend, 
he can perform. But yeah, and George is a Mercedes driver, so good job. Really good. (laughs) Yeah. So the other way I split up this data um, was I split it between street and temporary tracks. Um, So like Miami was in that category, even though I don't really call it a street track, but it's definitely a temporary track. It has walls and a permanent course. George Russell outqualified Lewis six to two on street and temporary tracks this year. And Lewis outqualified George on permanent tracks eight to six. Um, Sprint weekends were excluded from sprint shootout was excluded from that data that I just said there. Um, So Lewis feels more comfortable on a permanent track where he really can get his elbows out. Lewis, uh, George felt more comfortable on a temporary track this year. I think what I took away from that is we know that Lewis was really struggling with the rear end of this car and feeling really confident in it for a lot of this year. So I think this data really shows that on a street course, Lewis was less willing to, or less comfortable to extract that lap time as George was when the walls were there this year. I do feel like I would have initially guess the opposite i don't know why i think i being asked that i would have said the opposite but huh interesting that's so funny of the like how you're like we're able to see that just based on type of circuit it was one of the more extreme differences in the four teams i pulled where like you can really see where they felt more comfortable. I also think part of it is you have more street and temporary tracks earlier in the calendar this year. So it could be that Lewis just, as the season went on, got more comfortable with the car and George got less comfortable with the car and it might have nothing to do with street and temporary versus a permit, more permanent circuit. Uh, but th- we're dealing with a lot of variables here. <laughs> I can't look at data and not explain the 7 million vari- variables and caveats to this. But I also, like, it seems, like, it's so hard for us to see and understand the nuances of a car uh, because they are dealing with such minute details. And something I love looking at Lewis's data for is because we know he's so good, he's won at every single one of the tracks that's not a new track that he's been to. So just because... George outqualified him this year in Canada doesn't mean I think that Lewis can't drive Canada. It means that something about this car this year, Lewis didn't like driving this car at Canada as didn't feel as comfortable there as he normally does. Like I, I tend to lean towards giving Lewis this benefit of the doubt where it's like, yeah, you could probably beat George. You could probably be on pole, but you don't like the car this year. It doesn't feel as good. You can't extract the performance from it. Um, so I find his data fascinating for that reason. Like, I don't think George outqualifying Lewis at Silverstone, a track that he owns this year, really says more, says a lot about Lewis. I think it says a lot more about time. George for doing a good job and a lot about how much Lewis hated the W14. I was going to say, and how much we all just hated the W14. Like, yeah, that's that's the problem. The W14 is clearly the issue. <laughs> And with all of this, I go back to Lewis very much seems to be setting up his car for race day. Mm -hmm. And we're never going to know the exact details, but that's been discussed enough and talked about enough by team professionals that I don't really, 
and I think that's smart. I actually think any driver that's not setting up their car in this generation where you can actually pass for the race is dumb. That's just what you should be doing now. Maximizing most amount of points possible. And that's, yeah, gotta do that for Sunday. One of my shockers of the season is coming in. I have little to no opinion on Oscar Piastri leaving the season. I adore him. I just want, I, I didn't think I had a lot of maternal instincts, but like every instinct in me awoke. And I just want to like wrap him in bubble wrap and say, don't change. And just be this like ad adorable, sassy, memeable, like fast driver. Like, like, please don't, be don't fast, let the world don't let anyone him. corrupt you and keep making jokes right. about songs and like, just thank you. Like, <laughs> Like, keep staring at the camera, deadpan, like, like, I, this was not on my 2023 bingo card to leave the season being like, oh, Oscar Piastri, he's so cute, he's so, like, ah, protect him. Yeah. And being really impressed with him on track. And, yeah, him having a personality, big question marks at the start of this year, if you're kind of going into our, I remember, like, our pre, our pre-season preview to whatever, everything, we're just like, Oscar Piastri, big question mark there. And you know what? The He came in really impressed. And it's hard in a year that we felt like we had a lot of, like, rookie energy. Um, and, you know, Logan really did not do much to impress. Nick is not here. Um <laughs> <laughs> and Nico was just returning. He wasn't like, but he was back on the grid after a while. Yeah, but he but is at there's, Haas. There's something about that, you know, to what we were talking about earlier with like George and this this um, needing to prove yourself and something, and especially in F1 with limited seats and having to be the best of the best all the time. It there's a lot of pressure on rookies to like really show what they can do in the car almost immediately. Because if not, then Daniel Ricardo comes in and like, you know, breaks his hand. Like it's. <laughs> yeah. Technically in all the rookie energy, we had like what, four races with Liam Lawson, three, somewhere between three and five races with rookie driver, Liam Lawson. Yes. Um, so that's why, and we knew early on as Oscar started to like pick up in his success and, McLaren was, you know, no longer like, oh, well, let's hide our eyes at that. Uh, wanting to take a closer look at kind of where Oscar is falling in terms of rookies within F1 and just seeing, you know, what other rookie seasons had looked like for drivers that are currently very successful or some of the greatest drivers in F1 history and showing how Oscar's positive performance and, you know, could prove that he's a very positive future in f1 um so i pulled some of again our favorite drivers i have like some of the best of the best here i did not do the entire grid um other caveats to remember when we're looking at this data this like spans over the cross of like 30 years of this sport of some of the drivers that i've pulled so there were different amounts of teams on the grid different amounts of races on the grid like rules are different all of these different caveats involved um, so taking that with a grain of salt, uh, the other thing I want to include, we do have Michael Schumacher on this list, but I do start, I looked at his 
full first season at Benton as the first full year. So everyone else, that's my little caveat there. Um, but now we'll take a little bit of a peek and at. Go ahead. I think we should throw in the caveat that not most drivers don't get the luxury of starting their career at even a midfield team. And like, as we know, so much performance-based data is going to be based on the cars in F1. So, like, Oscar was good enough in his uh, career before F1 that he earned a seat in a midfield team. I know you're going to talk about Lewis Hamilton, but Lewis Hamilton was good enough and waited on purpose to start his career where he started his career. Um, so when you, I, this is my caveat when you're, like, looking at rookie stats and whether or not you're, like, upset in either direction, like, car caveats matter they care but that doesn't mean we can't celebrate oscar or to take some of what oscar did with a grain of salt both of those things are okay okay now i want to hear all the data <laughs> yeah so um we i've looked at a couple of different aspects of this so we can kind of get like a really good picture of the different aspects of the sport um and just the different things that you're looking at uh first generally how often do rookies like finish in the points? How often are they able to get any points for their team at all? Um, so kind of looking at, we can go from giving you the top of the top Who is doing the best in their rookie season. Who was finishing with absolutely fin finished the most points. Um, Lewis with 16 times Schumacher with 13 Jacques with 12 Oscar finished 11 times in the points this year. It's really absolutely impressive. Um, he's tied with Lando Norris of Lando's rookie year. Uh, and it's definitely very interesting to be seeing the Lando Oscar comparison in that way. Um, and, uh, but that's like kind of the big group that you really saw, like gaining a lot of points um, within their first rookie season. When you go to that next switch of just points total overall of the entire season. And remember now you like still be thinking that there's drivers that have numerous races and things like that, but you still have to be performing in all of these races. And the system was different. Getting the points yeah. and the points were different, but still looking at Oscar still falling at like the top, like top of the pack. Lewis Hamilton in his rookie season scored 109 points. Uh, this year, Oscar. He should have won the championship. Scored Sorry. 97 points. <laughs> <laughs> um and I then can't help myself <laughs> um looking at oscar's current teammate lando norris in his first rookie year scored 49 points so did max verstappen lance stroll scored 40 points everyone was really kind of in that under 50 and you have oscar this year performing really well with 97 and yeah that's like a lot of races but oscar was on the podium twice, which is also a really big deal because then you have drivers like Lando in his rookie year was not on the podium. Max Verstappen wasn't on the podium. Charles wasn't on the podium. Nico Rosberg wasn't on the podium. Uh, you have Oscar that had two podiums and no, it's not anywhere close and he to won a fake race. And he won a fake race. Yes. You know what? I feel really bad for Oscar because for the end of time, like eventually F1's going to give up on these sprint races, but forever, like I'm just imagining us explaining to our kids, like, yes, that great Oscar Piastri, his first race win wasn't a real race. 
It was this thing we used to do called the sprint and they were, and they're going to say like, wow, F1 did silly things back then too. Oh yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> I could just like foresee the future. Yeah. It's, it's like that little asterisk that you like, so definitely don't want to be there. And I could still, I, I think I would be bummed if like, that was my first one, but it's hard to be like, you don't want to be greedy about that. But like, yeah, that's what a big bummer. It's like, <laughs> But it was, you know, great for a Saturday and great for the memes. Um, but he's really with like a special group of drivers, at least that I was looking at. Like, not many have podiums, and you know, even Max Verstappen, who so mm -hmm. many people right now are just like, he's so fantastic and an incredible driver. His rookie year had no podiums. He was like twelfth in the drivers' championship. Was all, like had ten points in total. Like, it's a so. Oscar already performing right, so well. But he was well. driving the Alpha Tari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, right, then, like, yeah. like everyone thinks McLaren should have won a race this year, which is really different than driving the Alpha Tari, which back then wasn't quite as dreadful as it was for most of this year. But it's still the Alpha Tari. Still, the that Alpha back then Tari. was Toro Rosso. <laughs> Yeah. But I would say at the beginning of this year, it did seem like the McLaren was basically the Alpha Tari. So for this, for Oscar to have yes. been able to create have this much success with the beginning of the season basically being like a wash for mclaren is really impressive yep i agree um, and that's kind of where like if you're looking at having who had the highest finishes in their rookie season so we had started talking about how unfortunately oscar's p1 falls under the sprint so technically his highest finishing impressively is still a p2 like that's nothing to bat an eye at who also finished p2 their rookie year as their highest like Ayrton senna that's like pretty sick company to be with um people who want to race their rookie year no surprise lewis hamilton um jacques villeneuve michael schumacher but that's all stats that we yeah right um lance stroll of course has his p3 finish and then you get Max Verstappen, P4 was the highest he finished. Lando Norris was P6, same with Charles, Carlos Sainz, and Nico Rosberg finished P7. And Daniel Ricciardo was P9, the highest that he made. So Oscar's in like this really the unique that, spot. The fact that Oscar got a P2 in this season is basically winning a race. Because <laughs> like, this season, that was the best anyone really could do. Yeah, that's... Because you really have to just think about P2 is the P1 in the dominance of Red Bull when, like, no one else can catch that and close that gap. Like, P2 is really what you're trying to achieve and celebrate right now. Um, so that's definitely just incredible to see. And we'll it'll be really interesting to see how this continues, especially, you know, as, like, really seemed like Lando Norris was going to be, like, this powerhouse at McLaren and... I think Oscar's coming in and showing that, you know, he's not going down without a fight there. And it makes me really hopeful and, and, and doing this deep dive into the different like rookies within F1, seeing how Oscar has really set himself apart from other rookies that were like, you know, necessarily towards the back or not at the highest elite elite level and what he can do. So he's showing his skills and, uh, why he deserves to keep his seat and be on the grid. I don't watch a lot of feeder seat 
feeder series racing. Like I don't watch any F2 or F3. I do watch F1 Academy. Uh, but the, so coming into the season, everyone was just touting Oscar as this generational talent, but I didn't have any context to it. I feel like after watching the full season, even though like over the course of the season, of course, his like a very experienced, very fast Lando Norris was faster and Lando is better with the Pirelli tires. All of that being said, you can see what everyone was saying about Oscar being a generational talent. Oh yeah. Like it is definitely there. So I'm incredibly excited, maybe not for this upcoming year, but by 2026 for sure. Like if Lando remains with McLaren, like this is going to be a battle and I'm very excited to see it. Yes, it'll be definitely one to keep your eyes on to watch. All right, we're going to weed into what feels like a lot of drama on my Twitter feed, which is people constantly battling about Carlos versus Charles. And like, there's a lot of inner Ferrari fighting. And I'm just going to say like, the car was slow, so it really doesn't matter. <laughs> and so we're going to weed into this. And I'm going to stay up off top that like, Technically, my bias is I do root for Carlos a little more than Charles, but like it can be a coin flip. I think you're kind of the reverse of me. I am like the reverse definitely our Charles girl. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you root for both of them, right? Um, I will also say that like none of the data I'm about to go through is similar to the Lewis Hamilton George Russell discussion. I'm not here to say anything other than than Charles Leclerc is probably the faster driver, and I think Carlos Sainz is the more polished driver. That's how I would describe them both. We're just here to talk about qualifying performance over this season in particular. And honestly, Carlos won the only thing that actually mattered this season, which was the only non-Red Bull race. So like, who cares about the data that I'm about to show that Charles whooped his butt all season? And like, that's a lot of the data I'm about to go through. All of that being said, he won the race. Carlos won the race. Being good the week, the car is good. Right. We were just talking on last week's Gridwalk episode about how, what if Alex Albon had a down week for one of the weeks the Williams was good? Like, so much of being a driver in F1 is like, can you get the car to where it needs to be when the car is good enough to be there? Mm -hmm. And Carlos won that this season. But Charles is really magic in a qualifying lap. So over the course of the season, Charles won in an 18 to 10 battle. So he won 64%, which Mm -hmm. isn't total domination, but post Singapore actually, so the whole back end of the season, when you remove sprint shootouts, Charles was six to one. Yeah. So you can see Carlos, Carlos really, and you felt it in the moment, he had that downward spiral. (laughs) That was that race win. Yeah, it said that it was like an upward trajectory and then it was just like, no! Like there was just some Max Verstappen voodoo went on and Charles then also was like, I need, I need to make Ferrari proud. Like, (laughs) And he really like came into the car, he came into himself and I'm sure, like we talk a lot about leaving the season with vibes and how that can go into next season and like, I think... Despite the fact that Carlos won the race, Charles is leaving with the positive vibes for that reason. Which, you know, they can both go into the offseason feeling good. So, 
I similarly looked at sprint races versus non-sprint race weekends. Uh, Charles was faster 63% of the time on not sprint race weekends and 67% of the time on sprint race weekends. Basically, Charles was faster. That wasn't that interesting. Uh, but I did think it was interesting that for the sprint shootouts, they were they both were 3-3 for the Saturday sprint shootouts. But in the Friday qualifying, so the same thing we looked at for Mercedes, Charles won in favor 5-1. to one. So the exact same split that Lewis and George had, which just shows that Charles, like he's really good in qualifying and gets up to speed in that car very fast. That ge- it's like it's like a generation thing. I love Saturdays. He's right. Yeah, no, we talk about that a lot. That like the Charles Max. Well, Max not so much anymore. He's really learned. But like Charles, George, and Lando seem to be really great in a qualifying lap, and they can really pull that together. And they just haven't gotten their Saturdays to a point that like the world championship caliber drivers have. Thanks so like the- Lewis and Max magic like the being able to maintain like that energy that pace that management like it's uh, again the millions of variables that make them the greatest drivers in the world like that yeah just not there yet but still great and we're not talking about mclaren in this segment or actually because his head-to-head with oscar was so clear-cut i didn't pull his data for this but I really, what, what impressed me the most about Lando this season was that his race pace and his management of the Pirelli tire, tires definitely seems improved year over year. He seems to be starting to figure it out more than we're seeing in Charles and uh, George. When I say street tracks, you probably, one of the first things you think of is how much Charles loves street tracks. So you would probably think that when I split it between temporary and street and permanent tracks, that Charles dominated in street tracks, right? That's what I would want. Here's that's what I would want because that's what would make sense. But because it's Charles, it's gonna it's gonna be a no. But he grew up on these streets. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was better. The head to head was Charles won five and Carlos won three, but it was pretty close. They were off by close. two. But in permanent tracks, he had a really good season, which is really why in the head-to-head, he he made the difference at the end of the season in permanent tracks, winning 10 of those qualifying battles, and Carlos only won four. Yeah, I mean, Carlos is unbelievable. I say unbelievable downfall, but like, Charles had such... Unbelievable downfalls every weekend, so. Yeah, and of course, like, it's really hard. I find it always very difficult to look at the Ferrari head-to-head with the two of them because I always feel like there's some caveat every week that, like, this week, Carlos was screwed. This week, Charles was screwed. They messed this up. They didn't do that. Like, there just always seems to be something more in the race than in qualifying. So it is hard to I feel like if I was showing anyone my work here it would just be like seven million asterisks just explaining like the caveat to every line of data but I had to pull it together somehow it I think the biggest thing was their trend 
Charles had a very strong start to the season. Carlos really came on in the middle of the season, and then Charles ended the season very strong against his teammate in qualifying. So, probably deserving of the giant contract that keeps getting rumored. Yeah, I was going to say, so this is, this boy's just trying to really solidify his butt in that red car until basically 2030, but. Oh, and the median difference between uh, the difference every week between their lap times was one-tenth. So there was a bigger difference over the course of the season between Charles and Carlos than Lewis and George. But again, we're talking such fine margins. Like, the reality is, like, did Charles squeak it out more than Carlos more often than not this season? Yes. Are we talking about squeaking it out over the course of the season? Yeah. Yeah, but it feels tiny, like tiny margins. It's like tiny, but that's huge. But it's tiny, but huge. Right. So I, I think that's why Like, I really wanted to pull and look at Ferrari. Because so... I, I think the reality of Formula One data is it's all right. Like, we're sitting here trying to parse out, like, did Charles have a better season than Carlos? And, like, what does... And, like, I see people debating who's a better driver all the time. And I think I think they're both such different drivers, which is an interesting challenge for Ferrari. But and they both had good seasons. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you right... Like, even after pulling all of this data, I don't confidently feel great telling you that Charles clearly had the better season. Carlos won a race. I Ferrari, it's very much, well, in terms of what? Because they were so all over the place throughout sprints, throughout qualies, throughout races. Like, you, it, you, if you're looking at, you know, specific race days by race performance, like, I feel like you're going to be able to easily say Carlos. But then you're also going to have to, again, all of the asterisks. But that's Ferrari. And Ferrari is pain, and we love it. (laughs) Yeah. If you were... I think the reality is if their car was good enough to compete with Red Bull next year, like I would probably back Charles. But he also hasn't proven that he cannot make mistakes yet. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt the loss of him having nothing to race for this season. Because he... He can be so exciting. Like, of all the things that we missed out on the season because things were so dominant, I did feel the year-over-year loss of a sad Charles. Yes. If we're being honest. Because he was sad in a different way this year that wasn't as fun. No, it was like despair. It was like, oh, like, wasn't even... Not that it's ever fun to watch sad Charles as I, like, root for him, but this was just... Yeah. It was... I missed the sad Charles that's, like, the sad Charles we love. And also missed the, like, action-packed Charles. Like, I mean, getting to see that on-track action with yeah. Checo in Vegas. I'm like, this is what I want. This is the Charles I love. This is what I want to see happen. And not a DNF or, you know, a grid penalty, disqualification, blah, blah, We're blah, blah, a- blah. Hanging out in P8 because that's how the Ferrari was for a lot of this year. So in discussing what we wanted to review for the year in drivers, an interesting one that came up was popularity of drivers. Were there any drivers that became more popular this year? Uh, There's 
we can always be looking at social media, social media followers. That data gets a little muddy. So what I pulled for us to discuss today is Google trend data. So a little prelude to what is Google trend data. So what it does is it is a relative number about how often people are searching for a topic. So, and when I say searching, I mean physically going to Google, or if you have Google as your default browser on your phone and saying, you know, Lewis Hamilton, non-alcoholic drink. Whatever the search is, if it has Lewis Hamilton in it, it goes into this index number. And then you can put up to five topics and a number is pulled that is relative to the other numbers. So the number themselves don't make a lot of any, don't mean anything. The numbers themselves don't mean anything concrete. It's the number in relation to another number. I also point out that this is not a popularity data point. It just tells you how often they're searched. You know, people who are very unpopular have very high scores on Google Trends because a lot of people are Googling and researching the bad thing they did, right? So, so again, yeah, not a popularity scale to anyone who doesn't have experience with this, just how often they're being searched. It's popularity in like a in a different type of definition. It's it's popularity in terms yeah, and like searchability and not just like popularity like for Gina George. It's interest, positive and negative, not just positive. Yes. You know, is is something going on that people are looking you up? Is kind of what it is. Um, so I pulled data all the way back to 2015 for five drivers to compare to each other. So I pulled Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Fernando Alonso, and Lando Norris as the five drivers, uh, all for probably pretty obvious reasons why I picked these five drivers to compare to each other. And then my data goes back um, to 2015, and I pulled a yearly number to compare. So there is so much nuance in this data where you can pull it daily, you can pull it monthly, all, but I just wanted to get over the course of a year, how do they all compare to each other? Uh, so if you are listening on audio only, I'm going to do my best to verbally describe this to you, um, but you can also always head over to our YouTube video where this will be up on the screen. So something interesting about this is these are the global search index numbers over time for all the different drivers. Um, so, of course, back in 2015, Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris had zeros because they they weren't in Formula One yet. They weren't big enough to be on this scale. Their first numbers don't come until about 2018. But you can really see both how the drivers relate to each other in searches. And then also over time, the numbers grow, showing the popularity growth globally for F1 as well. I know every time we're going to look at data for F1 over the course of many years, that 2021 is always going to have like this little funky thing happening. But every time it just makes my whole like body like, like just... <laughs> yeah. Well, sticking with 2021, something I find interesting about the global search index is that what was going on with Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen that year didn't really give a search bump to other drivers on the grid not involved in that. And that might feel obvious, 
But I think it goes to show that if a championship fight is going to have a positive impact, it really positively impacts. And again, remember, positive is just meaning an increase. doesn't mean a good. Um, so it's going to impact the drivers involved in it. But you'll see that like to 20, 2020 to 2021, Charles, Fernando, and Lando, their search index really doesn't go up at all. And Lewis and Max's skyrocket because so many people are searching for those two names on Google. And even though every, like, even though, of course, Max and Lewis has come down in 22 and 23, they're still by far the two most searched names on this graph. And something that shocked me was that there were more searches 2016 through 2019 for Max Verstappen than Lewis Hamilton, despite the fact that Lewis Hamilton was involved in a, well, Lewis Hamilton won the championships in 17, 18, and 19, and Max Verstappen was searched more those three years. Yeah, that it was also one of the things that stood out to me. Um, and honestly, I, I'm not surprised that Lewis and Max have a higher index than Fernando. I think I'm just surprised at how low Fernando is maybe even more recently at all. It's, it just seems like he would be, have more of a gap to Lando and Charles in terms of like popularity and searching or frequency of being searched would be my assumption. So I am very surprised about the Alonzo of it all. Right. So I thought, I thought it was really interesting that in 2022, Charles's interest really spiked up because he was competing for the championship, but he dipped back down this year because he wasn't competing for the championship. And Fernando spiked up because of everything that happened at the beginning of this season. And he, so he had more searches this year than Charles did. So you can really see with Charles and Fernando, the effect that being on the podium does for the amount of times that people search for you as an F1 driver and being in that conversation again, being the storyline really matters for how many times people search for you, which again, sounds obvious, but the data doesn't always align that way. I think what's interesting to me though, is that the, of these five drivers, the most searched driver last year and this year is Lewis Hamilton, despite the fact that he wasn't competing for a championship at all. So yeah, Charles and Fernando get this like competitiveness bump, but Lewis doesn't get a downward turn like the other ones do when they're not competitive, which just shows you like he is a global stu superstar in a very different way than all these other drivers. Yeah. For sure. This is, it's really crazy to see this like drawn out and like in a qualitative way. This is things that I know to be true, but being able to see is cool. Now, something that really surprised me on here is, so we talked about Lewis and Max and Charles and Fernando, and we haven't really said Lando a lot. So Lando, for the most part, averages out to be the least searched driver on Google. And he doesn't seem to have gotten a big 2023 bump in any way, despite the fact that McLaren was doing really well at the back half of the season. He is a very popular driver with a younger generation. 
Um, and I was shocked at how far below for 2023 his search index was to Fernando and Charles globally. Yes, I do find that very surprising. I do think it's really interesting. The 2020 to 2021 is his steepest increase, which like it just screams like the COVID drive to survive effect of like the like Lander Norris of it all, like the discovering driver personalities, everyone's home. And I really feel like that's when Lando started hitting his stride in terms of like content and building his fan base was in that time frame. So that's really interesting to be able to see like that growth right there. But the gap is it it is very wild. But again, it's so evident about how even being even it feels silly to say in actually competing with max in whatever way, whether it was legitimate, not when I say legitimate being like it would have lasted yeah, the whole yeah, season. I get what you mean. Like, I don't mean legitimate yeah. in ways of certain people are cheating, but in the ways of like, okay, Ferrari was leading at the beginning of 2022 because Red Bull had certain things going on and then they figured their stuff out. And we saw how that went down as Martin, We obviously learned the, you know, certain things on their car had to change that drastically then affected the rest of their car for the rest of the year. But Lando was has not been in that place where at least at the start of the season, it seems like he could have that momentum to kind of gain that push and spike. And uh, it so that it's a big difference. Really gives you that. The non-Lewis Hamilton category, how much it the on track seems to affect these numbers really was my number one baffling takeaway where I was like, Oh, okay. Got it. If you're not Lewis Hamilton, it doesn't matter how popular you are. People don't seem to be searching for you on Google that much. Right. Um, I'm going to be really interested to monitor this over time um, and see what happens when Max stops winning because he's now a multi-time world champion and I wonder if he stays up there at the search volume of Lewis Hamilton when he's no longer winning races like that. I wonder if he falls back with the group of searches that are race dependent or if because he's become this generational champion, if he'll, his interest will stay up that high no matter what. Yeah. Very interesting to see. I agree. So those were the global numbers. This is the U.S. numbers. So let me explain to those just listening the difference here. Lewis Hamilton is by far, and it is not even close, the most searched driver in the United States. While the global graph has multiple points, Max being more searched, um, Max being close to Lewis, Lewis being close to Max, the gap of space is monumental. Lewis Hamilton is the driver of the United States and it's not even close. Also, Max Verstappen doesn't become a highly searched name until 2021. And I find it fascinating that you can't actually see the 2021 bump on the USA graph. On the global graph, it was slow, slow growth giant spike in 2021 and then it comes back down a little bit but still higher than 2020 and then back to a slow growth trend line below 2021. This is a pretty steep growth starting in 2018 
till you hit the pandemic, you get that pandemic drive to survive bump spike in 2021. And then actually every driver's search in index keeps increasing in 22 and 23, uh, which I did not expect at all. I also found that the USA graph, um, unlike the global numbers that seem to be a little finicky for Charles, Fernando, and Lando, depending on how they're doing the championship, um, Charles's interest spike that happened last year in 2022 stuck for 2023. He actually grew in US searches this year, despite not being as competitive on track. So it seems that UA USA audience seems much more interested in personality and when they like a driver and they a name has become a household name, it just keeps getting searched versus the global audience kind of goes with what's happening on track a little bit more globally. Or everyone was searching for Charles's piano melodies on Spotify and SoundCloud and but no, like very much to your point, but <laughs> I couldn't be no, but like, but my point is that that stuff matters. That oh, hi Harper. Do you want to make a? a we have a appearance? dog. Four-legged executive producer has come to say hello. I love Charles. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh. Yeah. Hello, Harper. Say hello to the people. Can you hear that? Yes. That's her hello. That's her hello. Oh, yeah. This is recorded. That's great. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're making a joke about SoundCloud, but I do think <laughs> this is a very large dog that's currently trying to crawl into my lap. Um, I do think the U.S. audience cares about all of that. Lewis Hamilton is a celebrity here. He gets a lot of searches, probably from a U.S. audience, about his appearances with fashion and his work with Brad Pitt on the Apple TV movie that they're working on. Like, I do think that a U.S. audience really cares about something like a Charlotte Claire SoundCloud drop. So the key is for drivers to be involved in more things outside of motorsports. <gasps> it's like we've said that before. Shocking. But again, I'll point out that I was shocked by Lando Norris's numbers. Um, I think so much of F1 media... Like he's such a darling of the British media that I was expecting when I pulled the USA and global numbers that he was going to be higher and more searched than he yeah. actually was. So again, I'm not, to anyone who's a Lando Norris fan, I'm not saying he's not popular. He very clearly is. And his numbers are close to Fernando Alonso in the U US. And that's a world champion with like years of being a name in motorsports. So, like, his numbers are great. He, we're comparing him to Lewis Hamilton here. Like, these are not reasonable numbers for people to be compared to. I, uh, but I just I expected him to higher. be closer to Charles. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That, that was... When I put him in here, I thought he was going to be P3, not mm -hmm. P5. No, definitely my biggest, like, plot twist here, too. I thought Lando would be, like, raking in these Google searches. But it just shows. Again, it's the power of the brand. I'm sure his socials do incredible. Oh, yeah. as well because i think his audience is younger maybe they're searching less on google but everyone searches on google so like that's why that is why i love the search index is because it's really such a good good number the last driver pairing we have to chat about here is the french peen driver pairing i think this was one of the ones where we came into the season and 
there were high hopes and expectations for sparks flying. And I felt like we went through a season of tension building. Like they felt very evenly matched over the course of a season. There were some spicy end of season team radios, things that both drivers didn't like. But I was very intrigued to see their qualifying head to head to see just how close they were. I'm excited to see it in a numerical way. Because going into the season, I felt like it was going to be spicy mean girl drama between Pierre and Esty Bestie. But then it kind of just felt like it was towards the end. Like you said, we started to see a little bit of the feistiness, but really just felt like it was like the Alpine internal logistics versus anyone working for Alpine. Like, (laughs) so it'll be. It just felt like Alpine had a rough season and they were both fed up. And like some of that they took out on each other more than like actually any kind of. I just want to go home! Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm done with all of this. Well, the median difference was three hundredths of a second. Uh, It was 15 to 3 overall in favor of Pierre. And they were in the 50% all the way through. For every number I pulled, they were so evenly matched. So if you remove the sprint shootouts, Pierre is 12 to 10, so 55%. They were equal on sprint shootouts, three to three. They were equal on weekends that didn't involve a sprint shootout. So when there was the full practice schedule, it was eight to eight, 50%. They evenly split. When you give them time to prepare, it's a coin flip on who, who was better that week. It's like they um, grew up together that were... learning racing techniques and things. <laughs> now, I will, like, oh, we forgot to name Bias at the beginning of this. We're big Esty Bestie fans. I love Right. Um, probably implied by the fact that we just keep saying Esty Bestie, and now I'm upset that I didn't put my Esty Besties on the podium baby sounder on our... Uh, our media board for this SD Besties on the but... podium, baby! There you go, I did it. No. They both had podium moments this season. Like, they really were so evenly matched on track. Um, if I was going to say something that makes me worried as an SD Bestie fan, like, he has much more experience with the team. Pierre definitely was able to come on board quickly. Um, so if I was trying to feel optimistic about Pierre's chances next year, I would say, oh, like a whole year under his belt, like it might uh, swing more in his favor next year. Um, and the season trend does say that where SCBS, he had a much stronger start of the season and Pierre got much more comfortable in the car as the season went on, uh, which unfortunately for Pierre is when the car got worse relative to their peers. So like, It was unfortunate for him there. Great for Esty. But I had an interesting split here. Um, Again, I pulled the street and temporary tracks versus the permanent circuits. Esty Bestie won the street track battle six to two, winning 75% of those qualifying uh, sessions. Monaco, baby. Pierre won. Yes. Pierre won on the permanent tracks 10 to 4, 71%. So again, part of that is I think Pierre had a better ha- second half of the season than first half of the season and the inverse for Esty Bestie. 
But it does seem like Esteban preferred this car on street and temporary circuits overall, did much better than Pierre there, and Pierre felt much more comfortable on permanent tracks. Right. Yeah. Wow. I'm shocked at how even how they really just evened each other out. It it is not would have been on my 2023 bingo card. I'm going to be really intrigued for them next year, but actually looking at all this data made me more intrigued for their actual performance on track than all of the explosives everyone keeps expecting to happen. You know, like they are so evenly matched. Um, I know that when you look at race pace overall over the course of the season, Esteban felt much more comfortable managing the tires than this car. So I think it would be interesting to see next year if Pierre gets, as he gets more comfortable with the Alpine, if his tire management will get better and they'll be more evenly matched on race day as well as, as clearly evenly matched they are on a qualifying day. But I didn't even want to like really dive into race data for this because the Alpine just, if it can make it through a weekend, like good for that car. Yeah, it was. It felt like it was a Ferrari at points this year when it was just like again, like uh, this. What I was like, yeah, people were speculating about explosions between SCVSC and Pierre when it's really just like potential explosions within the PU of Alpine, like. <laughs> right like they're they're fighting their own team they're just trying to like get the car to finish a race they're ending the season in p6 as an engine manufacturer team they're a works team like this is embarrassing they don't have enough time to fight with each other um other than like the temporary time where they're on track (laughs) seems to be the vibes but i'm going to be intrigued to see if next year they keep up the same trend where Esteban does better on street and temporary tracks and Pierre does better on more permanent circuits. Um, Or if that was like a one-off, this version of the Alpine where they felt more comfortable. Thank you so much to our voiceover man, to Lewis Hamilton for liking our Instagram post. We're never going to get over this and we'll like be yelling about it for months and months and years to come. And thank you to our four-legged executive producers. Again, this is one of our three season reviews of the F1 2023 season. So once you finish listening to this one, make sure you go catch the other two if you haven't listened to them already. If you are watching on YouTube, sound off in the comments your favorite moment from the F1 2023 season. What things surprised you what things did you completely expect and what are you hyped for in 2024 anything like that we're really really curious of what you're thinking and where your vibes are at the end of this season so subscribe like the video interact in whatever way you can audio listeners don't forget to follow turn on auto downloads rate and review the pod all of these things make us incredibly happy and really help other wonderful people just like yourself find our podcast you can join us for daily gridwalks on all social media platforms you can follow us at gridwalk show on instagram tiktok twitter and threads we are doing 23 podiums to wrap up the f1 2023 season so if you haven't got enough f1 2023 season wrap-up content from us check out our socials for all of our podiums that you have you can check out and see of our favorite things of the entire year and we will be back to walk the formula one grid every thursday including in the off season and we sincerely hope you join us but this is all feeling like a big grid wrap-up and not a grid walk